What's up, Internet? John here from NextGen. Our guest today was interviewed by Vice in 2016, where he was called the journeyman guitar tech making Ottawa rock harder than ever. So that's pretty cool. When he's in town, he runs McCormick Analog, doing repairs, mods, and designing and building his own effects pedals, studio gear, guitar and bass amps, and basically anything else analog. Uh, his work can be found on the boards uh, and stages around the world, used by guys like Matthew Good, Jeff Waters from Annihilator, Crownlands, and numerous others. Uh, he also works as a studio sound tech. Uh, he also works as a sound tech at the uh, one of Ottawa's coolest music venues. Shout out to Live on Elgin. Uh, he, and he also, to top that off, he is a touring tech and stage manager for bands like Crownlands, giving you experience in North America and around the world. If I'm not mistaken, Crownlands would be in Europe right now if it weren't for COVID, right? Uh, we would have just been finishing up, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, and to top that off, he's in the band Onion Face. Check them out on streaming platforms. And as if the list wasn't long enough, he's married and has a cat named Hershey. <laughs> yeah. So, Calvin, welcome back to Next Gen. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Um, I say welcome back, actually, because I had the good fortune of working with you uh, a few years ago, you worked with me uh, as I was as it, right after my son was born, and we, it was like a panic mode. Like, all right, we got to get this business out of the house, and you you were part of the transition into coming here. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Thanks yeah, for, it was. Thanks for that, man. Oh, thank you for giving me the space. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I had to abbreviate your resume a little bit because yeah. I know there's a lot more on there. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, otherwise, we'd be here all day listing everything. <laughs> so I got to ask this question: How in the hell do you find the time for all of the stuff that you do? <laughs> Uh, man, well, honestly, like a lot of the work that I do seems to come in waves and it kind of like rushes in. So a lot of the time I'll be working my butt off for like three or four months straight. Like I'll be be filling orders for customers and, you know, building a dozen pedals, you know, in that time and then come back from a tour all within three, four months. But then I'll have a month and a half of like almost nothing to do. So it really kind of comes up, up and down in waves. Okay. So it, uh, it does seem like a lot, but really it, it balances out to like a pretty regular workload, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it, it seems like it, there would be times where, because everything is in waves, it seems like there may be times where all the waves peak at once. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. There's been times where I've been like in the middle of a tour and I'm getting like, you know, five or six messages from guys back home. Like my amp just blew up or, Hey man, I, mm. I need this for this. You know, cause I, I do, a lot of stuff for um, kind of like local jobbers, like the guys who do, you know, the Heart and Crown or like just your local pubs. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those guys rely on their equipment oftentimes like that day they need it fixed, yeah. right? Because it's like, I got a gig tonight. And that's yep. literally how they put food on the table. So sometimes that's a bit of a bummer when I'm on the road and I can't help them out. But uh, fortunately, Ottawa has a lot of really great techs and I'm able to like, you know, point them in other directions or, or nice. whatever. And, and, you know, if I'm lucky enough to have a, a good relationship with that tech, I can kind of lean on the, my relationship with them say, hey, like, can this guy's really good quick? for yeah. me. Yeah. Like, please help him out as much as you can, you know, That's and then awesome. I'll return the favor by giving them like a vintage reverb tank or something for fun. Awesome. <laughs> I, I got in touch with you originally. I met you through your comp, your business, McCormick Analog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were one of the first actually next gen customers back when I was <laughs> driving things around the city myself and delivering them in person. Yeah. Um, what, since then, so you started off, you were doing some repairs and you were building some pedals and doing mods and things. Uh, and you since then have also started doing amps and you pretty much do everything like full custom. Somebody contacts you and they're like, I need this or I need this piece of equipment to do this. Do it. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you end up? How did you end up making that transition? And like what uh, what what drew you to sort of instead of just assembly lining your own design, like really 
taking being the customer's ears and trying to make things do what they want it to do. Well, I think it, it started off for me when um, when I moved to Ottawa. I had been already been playing guitar for about I'd say about six or seven years. Like I'd been pretty heavy into it. Where did you come from again? Uh, I moved from St. Catharines, Ontario, down in the Golden Horseshoe, Niagara. Okay. And uh, when I moved to Ottawa about eleven years ago now, uh, I was just kind of messing around a little bit in my apartment with an acoustic guitar, to be honest. I didn't even have an electric guitar at that point. So uh, tone was like the last thing on my mind. Mm. And then I met uh, a friend of mine uh, named Will, Will Thorne Morris, a really good pal of mine. Um, and he kind of jump-started my love for the gear and everything. I mean, he had like a single Keeley, uh, the Keeley fuzz head. It was oh, like okay. the first fuzz pedal that I ever really played through. And he had like a, a Squire, like parts caster uh, strat type thing. And then a Vox AC30, like a 90s reissue AC30 with the single 12, which was, it turns out, a pretty rare model. That's a great amp, actually. Yeah. Voxes are they're great pedal platforms, too. Yeah, and like that era, too, that was like the really good, turns out, like, again, I didn't know this at the time, but that was like the best era Vox. Nice. So when he went to sell it, he ended up getting more money for it than wow. he had anticipated. But uh, anyway, I remember the first time we jammed, and I had, like, really played a kick that fuzz on and hit that note, it was like a switch went off. And mm-hmm. that really uh, jump-started my love for the whole idea of chasing tone, right? Yep. Which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. So then from there, um, I started just buying little, uh, like the cheapest fuzz pedal you could buy, you know, a cheap Epiphone, whatever, like borrowed amps and stuff, and it slowly built my way up to it. And then when I finally got my own rig, it broke like I bought an old trainer YRM and it just blew a power tube and it was like two weeks or three weeks before we had a gig or something like that. And I remember, um, I brought it to Spaceman, shout out to Spaceman Music. Uh, great, great shop. Um, but you know, as most places it took like two and a half weeks or something. I remember I had to borrow an app. That was a wait time. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, as there is. Um, and I remember I just being like, oh man, there's gotta be something else. And being so in interested at that point, the, the fire was lit. Uh, it forced me to kind of just do some reading and learn myself. And then yep. through that, uh, I got to meet uh, another uh, Ottawa legend, uh, Dave Arguin, who's probably one of those guys that he's like a, I think in 20 years, he's going to be as known as Mark Hammer. You know? Oh, wow. He's That's very, cool. very, very well versed. I've only met him a couple times. Nicest guy ever. Yeah. He knows his stuff. Yeah. He's pretty quiet too. So it's hard to, but once you get to know him and he opens up, he's like, a wealth of knowledge, right? So um, he'd been doing builds and modding and stuff for about six or seven years when I'd met him. So he kind of started showing me this. And I remember I built my first fuzz pedal and brought it to him and tweaked it together and did some stuff. And he showed me some really basic stuff. And then from there, it just took off, man. And that was like, yeah, probably about seven or eight years ago now that really got me going. That's awesome. And I'd say that I'd been taking it really seriously as a business for about six years now. Okay. Yeah, right around the time I met you then. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. because because I I found a pedal that was dated 2014 not too long ago, and I still have (laughs) it. I thought it was good enough for me to keep. So Nice. Yeah, I figured figured that's the stamp of professionalism. That's the good start (laughs) to the design. So uh, just random question, but being a repair guy, uh, there was a quote attributed, not, I don't know if it was attributed to you, but it was attributed about your business. It was McCormick Analog, because sometimes you just shouldn't fix it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's like the worst botched repair that ever came to you where somebody's like, I don't know what I did. Can you fix it for me? Oh, man, there's been some bad ones. There's been some real bad ones. I think the worst, usually they're guitars, because that seems to be the ones that people are like, yeah, like, oh, I could do this myself. And then they, yeah. I open the, the cavity up and there's you know a mound this thick of solder on the back of the pot. <laughs> and you just like touch it with your 
with your screwdriver and it falls off. Like yeah. it's just cold soldered, you know, and all the grounds are connected to that and they can't figure out why their guitar is buzzing. And, you know, I mean, it's a good, it's a good place to start if you're not, um, if you're not, you know, willing to open up an amp cause that can be pretty dangerous. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd say guitars are probably the worst I've seen. Uh, but I have seen a few, uh, like electricians, guys who wire houses and stuff, try to, you know, replace filter caps and amps and stuff. And they use electrical tape to seal up all the, con- I've even uh, seen like, you know, they solder a wire to the end of a lead and the end of a lead and then they put it and they use the, the cap. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me that's not UL approved. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's just definitely not reliable in a, in a, an amp that's being traveled around and you know, in your wall, probably not so bad, it's not <laughs> yeah, moving yeah. around, it's but not moving, yeah. bringing it in and out of your vehicle and bringing it to gigs and turning on vibrations just from playing it is probably not safe. But <laughs> yeah. Speaking, speaking of the dangers of amps, how many, how many dumb guys, uh, like me at one point in time, do you find in your shop uh, when you show them the inside of an amp, they go, Oh, and they start poking around with their fingers. Well, what I, is this, this weird obsession <laughs> we have with wanting to touch stuff we don't understand? <laughs> Well, I usually I usually try to preface, you know, don't touch it. But you know, there are ways to discharge the the capacitors, yeah, of you course, know, yeah. pretty quick. So I usually have the uh, it's just a two alligator clips with a with a uh, a ten k, you know, at least one, maybe two watt resistor in the middle. And you just clip one end to ground and one end to anywhere where there's voltage in the amp, and that's multiple spots, mm-hmm. and it drains the voltage in like thirty seconds usually faster. Yeah. And even if it's connected, you know, while it's draining, it's got somewhere to go. It won't go through you. So if it's mm. connected, even if there's a, you know, 30 or 40 volts, you won't feel it because well, it's going to go through that. Smart thinking doing that. So people, I try to, <laughs> but I have made the mistake of leaving it in, leaving the, uh, oh, <laughs> trying to test the amp light show, baby. <laughs> Shoot. Cause that resistor will go up and smoke. Oh man. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, resistors are fairly cheap and they're readily available. Uh, thanks to next gen. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for the free plug. <laughs> Um, oh man. So uh, going back, I've, I've heard you, so you've got the McCormick analog stuff. You're also doing live teching mm-hmm. and you do some recording engineering as well. Yeah. I've heard you mix live and some of the studio stuff that you've been involved in. And I gotta say, it always sounds, I, I don't know how to word this well, but it always sounds huge without getting too muddy, but also it sounds like really big and full without, um, without really tightening the instruments too far apart. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's two problems. You can you can try and mix things close together so much so that it gets too muddy. Or you can try and like make space for just the bass drum, space for just the guitar, mm-hmm. and then everything sounds thin even though you're hearing everything. Yeah. Like h- how you've got ears that want to be engineers like me, let's say. <laughs> uh dream of having. How do you think you developed your ear for sound? Well, I think it really started off like when I was a kid, just my love for music. You know, I've always been obsessed with music. Like my dad's told me stories of like, you know, he'd come into my room as like a little kid, like two, three, four years old, like just barely speaking. And I'd be singing every word to the, you know, to the Sharon Lois and Bram and, and, you know, the Raffi and stuff. And and he would press stop and I'd be singing. I'd keep singing. I'd jump in on the bed singing. I don't have any memories of this. Right. So music is, and he told me that he used to play me records when I was in my, my crib, you know, Mm. and he would wheel it up next to the speaker and you'd play Harry Nielsen and, and, uh, little feet and some of his favorite artists for me. And, uh, I've always, even since I was like, not as, like I said earlier, not as into tone, Mm kind of always knew when things sounded a little weird to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know necessarily know how to adjust it or what it was that was weird about it, but I always knew it was like, "Mm, that doesn't sound right. Like I'd always, even from like when I was about mm, 13, really getting into my own music, I had a punk rock. My neighbor showed me some stuff and my uncle gave me old, couple old receivers and I like finding old speakers from other old 
JVC or RCA like boom boxes and the yeah. ones that disconnect and connecting them up to old Marantz's and, and, and messing with the EQs and stuff. But like, again, this is all like not really knowing just like, Oh yeah, that's how I like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And not just really knowing, right. Playing around until you find something you're like, I yeah. think this is the sound I'm looking for. Yeah. And yeah. then as years have gone on and I was lucky enough to get into live audio, I found that that has really reinforced, uh, a lot of the things that I enjoy about building amps is I'm, I'm able to really narrow in on, um, the specific sound to find that spot in the mix where that's going to sit, you know, because mm. a lot of times people, you know, they'll get this great sound with the amp by itself. Yeah. But the second you set it with another guitar, excuse me, or a bass, it it's gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, when you're, you're mentioning about how, uh, you know, getting everything to sound full without standing on top of each other, I think it's really important to find, um, like notches for yeah. everything. And, I know I'm not always, it's not always appreciated, but I definitely, when I'm mixing bands, I go on stage and I mess with the EQ on the guitar amp. Mm. The guy's like, that's, that's my- bold, I, man, yeah. And I'll tell them, you want, do you want people to hear you or not? And yeah. then at the end of the show, when their fans or their, their mom or whoever comes up and says, it's the best I've ever heard them. Mm. You know, it's just, well, cause- That's, that's probably the highest high. compliment you can get too. And, and you know, sometimes it, I do realize when people are like, oh, no, no, and I'll, I'll let them, but I often try to suggest it right away. Like, hey, maybe change that, change this. And uh, more and more, fortunately, I feel like people are a little bit more understanding and a little bit more accepting of the, uh, I don't know if it's just like a reputation thing or maybe I've just learned to broach it better. Well, you maybe, do have a reputation growing. Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. But uh, I'm, I'm still not, you know, not known by everybody. So you can imagine how, you know, if I'm at Live on Elgin, you're just there to play and then some random guy just walks up on stage and starts twiddling with your, your knobs yeah. while you're playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, uh, I would freak out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I try to preface it. I try to say, Hey, you know, and they, Hey, it sounds really good, but if we could maybe do this you know, from the soundboard and maybe try changing this because yep. you only have so much limitation, especially in a smaller room, you, you know, you're so much you can do on a EQ, you know, when the amp's blasting off, off the stage at yeah, 90 that's decibels, true. that's true. Yeah. You, you, there's nothing you can Sometimes do. Sometimes you just shut off and go, Oh, I guess the amp's going to carry the room now. And, and often my favorite way to mix is to have the guitars barely in the PA. Yeah. I sometimes turn down all to the way. sweeten it to get it out. Sometimes you don't even need that if the yeah. room's small enough, I find. Because um, guitar amps have a very natural sound that's hard. Even if you leave your EQ flat, it's, it's very hard to get that to sound that good through the real Yeah, pe- that's right. And, uh, well, it's so, so different hearing it in a room versus miking it and then hearing it in the room through the mic. Yeah. So there's a few different techniques that I like to, I like to use um, when I'm mixing live, but... Really, it all comes down to the gear that the people are using and how they play it. You know, like I'm sure we've all seen or heard stories of, you know, that one player plugs into that amp with that guitar. It sounds like them no matter what. Yeah. You yeah, know, of course. Oh, yeah. so there'll always be that. But at the end of the day, if you're playing, you know, a certain amp with the bass up too high and the treble down too low, you're wondering why it sounds muddy. It, some, it's not that obvious to some people. So if I can offer help and I can. Hey, try this, try that. That that seems to be one of the big things that helps me get the you know the sound that I like when I'm mixing bands. Cool. How uh, so? You your ear kind of started developing right from that young age. I just, feel like just, it did. Yeah. Yeah, that love of music. What do what do you got? What do people who got into music much later in life? Because some people didn't grow up in let's say a family that was really into music like that, like your dad was. Uh, and they when they're a teenager, they discover their love of music and mm-hmm. they get into playing an instrument and they want to develop that ear. What would you, what would you think would be a good route for them to try and start working on that? I think experience is key. 
mm. really. Uh, when yeah, it comes the more to, you mix, the better you get at it. Yeah, and and you know it, it's uh, it can be really tough because it's you don't get a piece of paper at the end of it. But I think it's really good to look at it like schooling, mm. and you know sp- give yourself a timeline. Say like in three years or whatever, two years, I want to feel confident enough to go to any venue in town and say hire me. Mm. So you know get to know some other engineers in town or wherever and and ask to shadow them. Yeah, you know. Maybe even pay for it, like you pay for school. Buy them beer. Realize it's going to be out of your pocket. You know, yeah, even true. give that yeah. engineer an extra. Yeah, I know I'm poking over your shoulder. Maybe give them an extra fifty bucks a week or whatever it is. It's probably cheaper than university. There are some great. Uh, it would be college actually. There's some great programs like uh, MIA is a really good program at the Algonquin College. That's the Music Industry Arts Program. Actually, uh, Robbie, who works here, took that. Yeah. And he's always talking about stuff he learned there, and, and I'm like, man, I kind of want to take that program now. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great program. I didn't take it, but uh, a bunch of my friends did, yeah. and I was really lucky. Actually, mentioning earlier, my friend Will Thorne Morris, he took the program. I think he was in the second or third year that they did it here at Algonquin. It had originally started in London. Um, and MIA I just got to go for music industry arts, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I got to go and just hang out and just sit there and cause you know, college, you can pretty much just yeah, walk yeah, in, you, you know, walk so, into the class. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, got to meet some of the professors like Colin Mills. Uh, oh yeah. He, he's great. Great guy. Um, and yeah, now in Onion Face, John and Stefan, the other two members in Onion Face both took the same program. So, oh, nice. and I've probably met about a dozen other people who, who've taken the program. So people, I was able to learn a lot from the program just going and sit there. Yeah, just hanging out. Just yeah. hanging out, right? So, um, but yeah, I really think that experience, even the MI is great, but you're not behind a mixing board mixing bands every night, right? That's true, yeah. So that's a good place to start. But if you're really just trying to go head first into it, find somebody who does it, ask if you can shadow them, realize that you're probably not going to be good at it for the first year and a half, two years, yeah. depending on how much you do it. Um, but yeah, that's the way that I started approaching. I said, like, treat it like schooling. Like, instead of spending all this money on a university or a college program, just try it yourself, you know, for a little while. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough when I went to Algonquin to, to try to go and take an electronics course, the, the head of the electronics program kind of sat me down and like at the, the end of our interview, he said, like, what do you, do you want to do for a living? Like, what do you want to do? And I, I just want to like fix amps and mess with guitar stuff. And he said, we'll teach you how to control the coolant on a jet engine <laughs> with, you know, logic circuits and stuff. That's more like what we teach now. Yeah. We haven't taught tube stuff since the eighties. It's like, the, honestly, since the seventies, like wow. it's, we only teach for the future. So like go buy some books Go buy some books and just go, do it. And he said, he honestly said, go buy an amp and blow it up is what he said. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Wow. And, and that, that stuck with me. And I, and I really started doing it. That, and I think that a pre, uh, approaching live or any sort of engineering, audio engineering that way, it's probably a good idea. So you're the fish out of water kid. You moved to Ottawa from St. Catharines. Uh, you're getting your name out there, getting some traction. Now you're making a bit. Now you're starting to hit that cusp where you're hitting, you're making your mark on the industry, right? Your gears on some pretty major boards. People know you. Uh, a good amount of next gen's customers, presumably some of the people who would watch or listen to the podcast, are in the same boat you were when you were the kid from St. Catharines. Just starting to venture into their business. Just, just it's an idea in their head. They're like, I want to start doing this. I think for a living. What would your advice be if they've, let's say, they've just started? They're they're shadowing somebody, or they're you know they, they've got their small business just started, like McCormick Analog in the early days. Well, what would you say is the best way for them to take what they're doing now and turn it into what you're able to do now? Like how did how did your progress go from? 
Because it's one thing to be a local tech and sound guy to then being a touring manager mm-hmm. and being a touring tech that travels with bands and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's, a pretty ma- that's a pretty major shift. How did you end up making that transition? Right. Well, um, I kind of got bit by the bug, the touring bug. It's definitely not for everybody. I can definitely... Yeah, it's uh, a hard life, man. Yeah. Honestly, the, the moment it happened for me was... Um, actually it was here we were, we, when we just, you just, you had just moved into here and wait, was it here? I think it might've actually been at your house. I think you were still out of working out of your house at this point. Cause I remember your son was, was so young that you couldn't d- deliver the switch because mm. he got a call from uh shout out to Chris Draper, tech to the yes, stars. That's what it was. Yeah. And, uh, Chris called and he says, I'm in town. I have an emergency. I need a tap tempo switch for a Strymon pedal. Uh, Matt Good's guitar player blew it up in soundcheck. And he's like, I need it like now. <laughs> and I remember you, you were like, I, I can't, I can't like, yeah, like I can't. <laughs> your son was like, maybe like three months old, you know, yeah, like yeah. really young. I remember. And I said, I'll do it. So I went and I, and I remember you said to me, uh, he's a really good customer. So please like treat him well, like, <laughs> like don't embarrass me basically. And, uh, <laughs> pressure son. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking, well, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to impress this guy. You know, I'm going to try to like give him something cool. So I, I had an, an, a DI that I had made using yes, an old. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, it was a, yeah. using an old. It was a Stromberg Carlson PA that I had taken, and had really nice mic input transformers, which I found out if you wire backwards make killer DIs. Mm. So I went and met uh, met Chris, and he was. I just met him in the lobby of his hotel, and he was so nice. Uh, I said to him, you know, most companies when they appreciate a customer, they give them like a bottle of wine or a box of chocolates. But at next gen, we give each other gear. So I gave him the DI. Way to take the initiative, man. Yeah. So without even missing a beat, he pulls out his little pocket tool, screwdriver, unscrews it, pulls it open and starts looking at the wiring, right? I'm sweating. (laughs) Like, oh God. Hey, hey, this looks really nice, man. I'm just... Oh, thank you. <laughs> so he showed him the transformer. I started talking to him a little bit. He goes, and we were shooting the shit for probably like, you know, 25, 30 minutes on it, at wow. least. And uh, he's like, oh, I got to go whenever to go to the show. And he said, you guys want to come? I think it was the next night. And he said, you guys want to come? I said, sure. So he, I remember he gave us, he put tickets at the box office. Yeah, and, I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and we you went. and me went and my wife came too. I yeah, and, yeah, and Stefan from Onion Face. Yeah. And uh, I remember after, or even before the show, I hear, I hear like, from a fucking stage <laughs> and he, it's Chris and he calls me over to this, the front of the stage and everybody, I, people are calling my name from the audience. Like my friends are in the like, audience. Hey, yeah. Like, hey, Kevin, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> so I go to the stage and Chris points down at Matt Good's board and he goes, that's your DI. Nice. We shot it out with the front of house guy and he, yours, yours one. Nice. <laughs> I'm like awestruck. Right. And, yeah. and then he's, you know, after the show, come hang out backstage. So, okay. So after the show's done, I, I go over, hop up on stage and as soon as I walked like into the wings, you know, into the side areas yeah, of the yeah. stage and I saw his setup and I saw like just the whole, like one of the band guys walked by, Hey, great job, man. You know, hit Chris on the shoulder. I was just like, this is what I want. It was like, I stepped into a different world, yeah. you know? And uh, immediately from there, I was like, I need, I've got to figure out how to do this. You know, like, how do I do this? And then Chris was really, I mentioned it to him. I'm like, I, I think I might want to try this. He said, you should, because there's 
a real demand for this type of work, especially mm. in Canada. And if you're able to be, you know, good, and he, he was always very generous and nice to me. Like I actually look look up to the guy quite a bit now, and like I ask yeah. him for advice, and I like to share projects I'm working on with him and stuff because I, I I really value him as a person and as a you know and in professional. I think he's got a lot of respect for you too because I've seen him shout you up before yeah. as like kind of an amp wizard. Yeah, <laughs> he's just such a nice guy. So uh, from that, I got super into the idea of like, hey, I think this is something I want to do. And then I met uh, Crownlands uh, from playing gigs with Onion Face. So we mm. did three shows together with another band called Wolves in the Timber. Awesome. That was an amazing tour. Um, but of course, you know, by the second show, I think we were swapping who was headlining. Mm. After the second show and Crownlands played, we're like, we're not playing after them. Yeah, no way. <laughs> <laughs> we knew, right? They, 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 they're that band that like anybody who has any sort of, you know, interest in that sort of like what band might make it or be successful, they kind of check all the boxes. Yeah. And they're just awesome. Awesome dudes. Awesome songs. That goes a long way, man. Yeah. Just being, just being good people and easy to work with goes such a long way. So I struck up a relationship with them, kind of mentioned to Kevin, the guitar player, if you ever need anybody, I would really, really want to get into doing this, you know? And he said, well, that's just so happened. We just got a really big booking agent. They ended up uh, landing Ralph James, who's one of the biggest booking agents in Canada. In fact, like if wow. you're involved in the in any sort of promotion side, music in Canada at all, concert promotion, you don't know who Ralph James is, you probably aren't very professional. Mm. He is one of the top guys in Canada, probably the top guy in Canada. Wow. And uh, so they landed Ralph, who ended up getting all these awesome gigs. I mean, the pay wasn't that much better, but... I think they knew that things were going to take yeah, off. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the point where you know you, you work for a while for low pay, knowing what's coming down the road. Right? Like I mentioned earlier, exactly, and uh, it it was one of those things where their gear kept growing. Kevin kept getting more and more in, in his rig. He says, like, "I don't know, I want to do yeah. this, but how do I take care of it?" And I was like, "Perfect." So I hopped in, and I, I think it was within two months of mentioning that to Kevin. He's like, "Are you available to come out to a gig?" you know, in two weeks or whatever. And then I've been with them since. And that was two and a half years ago, two years ago. That's pretty cool, man. So, uh, it was a pretty quick transition. I'd say it probably took about like only about half a year before uh, of like, I want to do this too. I'm doing this, you know? And it was really tough at first, to be honest. It was really tough at first. There was a lot of really difficult, um, uh, I don't know. We're just playing smaller gigs. It's tough sometimes, yeah. right? You know, there's no room on stage, no room off stage. You're sharing it with other people. And, you know, you're not actually in the band, so you don't really get a lot of the, you know, if any praise at all, you, you, yeah. you, you get zero. <laughs> What's funny is, is, is the sound guys always get a bad rap. Uh, yeah. Probably in some cases for good reasons, <laughs> but uh, in a lot of cases, it's, it's too bad that there's not enough, that the credit doesn't go there. Because like a sound man can make a band sound amazing or absolutely terrible. Mm. And if they're doing their job, you won't even notice they're there. You'll just enjoy the show. Yeah, and that's that's something that took me a little bit to realize. That like like exactly like you said, uh, if you're doing your job, they won't notice you. Yeah. And I think uh, when we did uh, Prim or uh, Crownlands has been really lucky to tour some really big names, and we did a tour with Primus. And, oh, sick. <laughs> uh, I remember the... <laughs> I think it was the, the, the first show we did with Primus. We missed the first show. We were scheduled because our master cylinder blew on the van. Oh, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, we got saved by a guy outside of Woodstock, Ontario. We saved our asses and we ended up making it to the second show. Anyway, so second show, something happened. Uh, Kevin's cable got stuck on something. And I went out and I, I you know, kind of jogged a little bit because I was worried that he would flip something over or whatever yep. and I you know ran back and then after the show I remember their their uh, sound guys hey like very casually leaning back in his chair <laughs> the soundboard he goes don't run on stage 
<laughs> just like that. And I, like, uh -oh, okay. as if like I'm getting scolded, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like don't run around the pool type thing. That's yeah, what I thought yeah. it was, you know? And he's like, and then he got up out of his chair and kind of walked up closer to me. He's like, you haven't been doing this very long, have you? I said, no, <laughs> to be honest, this is like my second big tour I've ever done. Yeah. And he's just like, all right, kid. And he gave me some advice. He's nice. Like, don't run on stage. You know, turn when you, when you hand the guitar, like turn your back in case there's pictures being, yeah, cause you're you not the show. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, wear black and all that stuff. I remember like a tie dye shirt and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I got an awful story for you. Actually, I was doing live sound work for a while. Um, for a couple of churches and things like that. And I remember I had to manage the sound for a massive conference. And uh, it was a good five, uh, a good thousand people, somewhere between 750 and 1,000 people. And um, at one point, the lapel mic, the lav mic that uh, the main speaker had, somebody, presumably me, <laughs> had put it on mute because uh, I just, uh, I don't know, I, I put it on, I think the my thought process was I'll leave it on mute and I told him, just unmute it before you walk on the stage so I don't have to mess with the faders and things like that. And uh, of course, you shouldn't leave that stuff in the hands of the person because he <laughs> forgot, walked on stage, started talking and nothing was working, yeah. And and people all over the place are walking on stage. Now, mind you, this is a major church event. Oh, Everyone wow. is in three-piece suits. Oh, wow. I am in bright bright blue basketball shorts and like a and like a weird floral shirt and this thing's being filmed and streamed to like all a whole bunch of other churches and things like that and i walk straight from the back of the room right up to the front on the middle of the stage <laughs> shake the guy's hand pull the thing out turn it on walk away is the worst it's so bad <laughs> hey man like he's got to learn somehow right and i was really lucky to get kind of thrown like right into the fire, just mm. go for it, man. And uh, in fact, Jack White was like that too. He got a call to go on tour with Jack White. And I remember I was behind the board at Live on Elgin. It was probably about midnight. No, it was early now. It was about 10.30 and I was just getting ready halfway through the night, getting ready to set up the next band, second last band of the night. And I get a call from Kevin. And I said, all right, I'll call him back, whatever. Calls me like three times. I'm like, okay, it must be important. I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, what are you doing right now? He's working at Live on Elgin. What's up? He's like, you need to get to Oshawa. I said, well, that's uh, where they're based out of. Yeah. I said, when? He's now. He's, uh, what? He's, we have to be in Edmonton in 46 hours. Jeez. Or whatever it was. And I said, what? He goes, we got the tour of Jack White. So, and it's now. It's now. <laughs> so I literally got on a bus. I, I didn't even mix the last band. John at Live on Elgin, thank God, stepped in. He's like, I got you, man. And he just pushed the faders for the last band and tore down. And I went and got on a Greyhound bus. I called my wife. She packed a bag for me, went oh, and grabbed man. it got on the bus and toured across Canada. And and things happen like that pretty frequently in the music industry, especially in the, the teching side because, yeah. you know, people have lives and a lot of these techs are working for multiple bands. So one band gets this offer and that or someone gets held up and they're not able to make it back. And so I've been able to do a couple of those kind of last minute call-ins, but it, it happens real fast sometimes. Speaking of, it's, that's really cool that your wife is, is that supportive that mm -hmm. she'll just drop things and, and let you do your thing. Um, if I, if you don't mind me getting personal for a second, mm -hmm. uh, it's managing that kind of doing what you do because you're traveling off the cuff sometimes, or you're gone for long periods of time. How do you manage keeping the relationship fresh and alive and healthy despite all the work that you have to do? Because you're gone a lot, of, you're working a lot of evenings, you're, mm -hmm. you're traveling, you're yeah, you know, it's definitely a balanced thing for sure. Like it, uh, it can be tough, uh, but. 
I think at the end of the day, I'm just really lucky to have somebody who, you know, I care about as much as she cares about me. At least it seems that way. Uh, (laughs) I've been been really, really, really lucky. And she understands that what I'm doing is like my dream, my goal, my, because when we met, you know, I was, didn't necessarily have any goals or plans or any Mm. aspirations of anything. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at all. Did you meet in St. Catharines or here? We met in St. Catharines. Oh, wow. So you came here. Well, she, we met in St. Catharines. We met in high school. We didn't date in high school, but we just met each other and we hung out. And then I was just kind of, yeah, I got a huge crush on her. And then that was when she moved to Ottawa to come to school. So then I kind of followed her up to visit her and I just actually really liked it here. This, this cool town, you know, yeah. somewhere different. I ended up moving here and nice. I moved in with her and we've been together for, yeah, 11 years. Oh, that's awesome. Or a little longer, so we started dating before that. So, probably about twelve years now. We've been been married for six. So, yeah, it's it's great. I'm really really lucky. She's very much helped me get those goals and aspirations. Like mm. like I said, I never even had the idea the idea of what a goal is. You know, not not really understanding. Like you can strive for something. Yeah. And and it's it seems like a lot. At first, when someone says... Yeah, it's the, the mountain always looks tall when you're standing at the very bottom. Exactly. Yeah. But then when you start breaking down the steps and how to do it, and she's been instrumental with that. So I think the fact that she's been able to help me with it, and it's almost like she's living my dream with me, if that makes any sense, even oh, though she's, yeah. she doesn't get any enjoyment from being on a stage or anything like that, like I do, but she sees how much I enjoy it and see how much it, it fulfills me. And I think that helps really drive the relationship yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Because um, we're both like, very much, you know, we're both the same age, we're both 31, and we're both at that point in our lives where we just want to put our heads down and work as hard as we can, yep. you know, really, really uh, try to just go for it, whatever it may be, you know. And things may change as you go, but just to have to have the idea that there is a goal that you want to reach is very important. And it sounds silly just or simple even just saying it like that. Yeah. But man, when you're stuck in that mindset of not knowing anything, just having a dead-end job and not really having an, it, it, it can be... Uh, you know, blinding. You don't even realize that you're there. You know? yeah. So I was lucky that she pulled me out. <laughs> and that's... and I think that's one of the reasons why we're so uh, strong together. That's awesome. Man. Yeah, I'm lucky. Big, big respect to your wife. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. awesome. Um, so uh, go, going back to the road then, uh, you're talking about some, some real emergency situations. What's like the biggest, the biggest worst case scenario that happened that you were able to like, okay, we got to fix this. Boom, fixed. So we were in... So on the Jack White tour, we were in London, Ontario, and it was the closest thing to the hometown show because that was the year Jack had gone out three times. So he'd hit through, you know, different markets and this was the last, so it was like the smaller of the markets. He already done Toronto and another area in the GTA. So he did London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. It's the closest thing to a hometown show for Crownlands. So their manager, uh, Ollie Mitchell, uh, shout out to Ollie, uh, hero, guy's absolutely amazing, hardest working guy. I'm one of the hardest working guys I've ever met in my life and amazing guy. So he comes to all the local shows if he can. He, he's from LA, but he flew in and uh, they had just signed with Universal at this point. So their uh, uh, Madeline also flown in their image person, their marketing person. Mm. Big deal. This is the big, this is the, yeah, they're you here. Do it, you want to get it right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, sound check, everything went fine. Everything was great. Uh, Kevin uses, he, at the time, I think we were using three amps. Two, yeah, three amps. And one of them was mine. And the amp, it wasn't like necessary, didn't necessarily need it, but it was definitely part of the show to have the three amps, right? Yeah. And maybe 15 minutes before the sh- we're supposed to go on, you know, I'm checking the amps, tuning the guitars, and I, my amp doesn't turn on. 
Nothing. Won't turn on. Jeez. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. And I'm, I'm, Kevin sees me kind of freaking out, and he's like, don't worry about it, man. We'll just go with the two. I'm like, no, let me, let me. You know, if I'm thinking worst case, I can't fix it, we'll just use the two amps. Yeah. So I go back, I drag the amp back into the green room and in the dressing room, and I have it apart, and it's like two minutes before the show. <laughs> and Ollie comes in, the manager pops his head in the, and he sees me soldering, and he goes, uh, Okay, <laughs> he just kind of left. <laughs> and I, I managed to get the amp together, got it on stage. I remember I flicked it on because they have walk-on music. They do uh, Rush, Closer to the Heart. Oh, nice. Their walk-on music was playing. And I <laughs> walked the amp on stage. It's black on stage, but you, yep. you could still see. I walked on stage and I put the amp. People start cheering because they think I'm the band. But oh, I down, Flick it on, it turns on. Fortunately, it was just the wire to the power, like the power switch to the fuse. So it was just one wire, luckily. Mm. And I was able to get it and back patched up and all going. And I got her on stage and the show went great. And then after the show, Ollie came up to me and said, I saw what you were doing there, man. Like, good job. And nice. that was like the first and <laughs> first of long line of compliments and like very, uh, you know, a re positive reassuring moments from Ollie, the managers. Like, I think you're the guy for these guys. You're the right guy, you know? So That's it's, awesome. It's man. really good. Um, yeah, there was that moment. And also, I mean, it's kind of similar to, it wasn't necessarily our, uh, uh, it wasn't my stress. It wasn't Crownland's stress or issue. But one of the nights we played, I think it was in Saskatoon, there was a power surge on stage and Jack's main silver tone blew an output transformer. Oh, crap. And he uses the 1484, which uh, has two output transformers, which is, which is an odd design. They actually mix together again. It's not like a stereo amp. Oh, that's weird. Really weird design. Anyway. Um, 1484? Yeah, the 1484. And uh, so one output transformer had been changed already. I could see... Uh, and then the other one was the original one. And it, my amp blew up that night too, but it just blew a fuse. So mm. I swapped the fuse and it was good to go. Yeah. But uh, Dan, Jack's tech, realizes blew an output transformer and that's Jack's main silver tone. Oh, like that's the one he's had forever. Yeah. He, I think uh, Dan said he had three of them maybe and that like he really only uses two of them and the other one wasn't even like I don't think he had the other one with them. And he's like, I need to fix this like, like now. now. Yeah. Like we were loading out at the end of the night after the show. We're loading up the van. That's not like a, you're a marshal you can rent from down the street either. No. So I see Dan like just sitting there. Everybody's packing up the trucks and he's just sitting there with an open amp kind of staring at it like, oh, geez. And, you know, <laughs> he's very competent. He knows, exactly, he knows what he's doing. And uh, luckily he was able to get a replacement transformer from Mercury Magnetics like the next day shipped to him. Wow. I'm sure, that's, it, wasn't, that's awesome. I'm sure it wasn't cheap. No. But, <laughs> but that was amazing because I got to give him a hand. Th those things are so packed. The chassis is, 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 is only about like that uh, wide and then it's about this deep. Oh, so geez, there's yeah. components stacked on top of, like, it's really tough to get in there. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, it's kind of cobbled together design. And so I got to help him put the transformer in, just like, you know, here, hold this so I can, yeah. you know. And it, I I was had that moment. I was like, my hands are in Jack White's amp. Yeah. Like, this, <laughs> this is a piece of rock and roll history. Yeah. Like, this is the amp. You know, so that was like, and I could feel like the, the pressure on Dan, yeah, yeah, but he got it, man. He's, he's a pro and yeah, he's uh, a pro, yeah. yeah, yeah. that was an amazing, amazing experience. Get to know, getting to know him. That's yeah. freaking awesome. Dan Mancini, another shout out. So many great techs out there, man. What's the, uh, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the worst thing that ever happened that you couldn't solve? Sometimes like, was it the van maybe busting on your way to the Primus show? That was the biggest one. Probably the van, we blew a master <laughs> cylinder on the way to the Primus show, but on stage, one time on the most recent tour, I mean, <laughs> Cody, the drummer, ended up busting the kick pedal. 
Oh crap! <laughs> so the he uses the the demon drive, which is a, um, a solid shaft, you know, and so it's a lot of force mm -hmm. instead of the, the chain. Kind of gives you a little bit more slack, and the bottom plate, the screws had come loose, so he's kicking, and every third, <laughs> the heel of the base of the base around. plate is just sliding around. Oh jeez! <laughs> and it's in the middle of their last song. They're like epic eight minute oh. song, right? And I'm like. What do I do? Yeah, you know, yeah. and he's Cody's looking at me while he's driving. So I just the first thing I could think of was just like, go grab it. So I went. And I, there's a grab picture it, just of me. Hold it. Yeah. I'm on the ground, laying on my stomach as low as I can be to get out of the way. Yeah. With my hand on the bait, the back of the bed, I'm pushing as hard as I can. Like yeah. I have my foot on a riser and my other hand on the back. And every other third or fourth, he's hitting my hand. He's kicking. Uh. My hand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you know there's those moments I, I didn't fix it but I wouldn't I, call that a failure though that's a, that's a it was pretty funny and uh, the tour manager for the band that we were out, we were out with the, the Who the H-U the Who not not the not, not the, the yeah, British band yeah the metal band yeah that, the throat, uh, the throat singing metal band yeah. yeah yeah those guys are great but their their tour manager uh, Dan he ended up snapping a picture of me God, it was a joke I look over and he's gritting <laughs> <laughs> nice so yeah I mean there's there's moments like that again I don't know if you consider it a failure but things things fail on stage of and course, I kind of yeah. have to you know deal with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> drums. Good. I mean whatever solution works though right yeah <laughs> drums sliding down mics moving around and you know, I've gotten pretty good at knowing how the guys work and how they move and everything. So I can, I can know, I, now I know like, Oh, I'm going to do that. Be ready for this. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what's, uh, what's, what's next for you? Uh, you know, pretty much just more of the same. Obviously this, the whole, uh, the whole pandemic thing has kind of put a big halt to touring. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Nobody knows when that's going to pick up again. I'm hearing so many different I see Crown Lands has some dates set up for next year, though. Yeah, we got 2021 in Europe. That was the tour that we were supposed to be on. We would have just been finishing, like, last week. Um, rescheduled with Lark and Poe. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, they're great. They do a pretty sick uh, cover of uh, Black Betty, actually. Yeah, yeah. Seen, yeah. They do all sorts of really cool little covers, just like the two sisters sitting there, right? And then their whole live band thing is pretty rocking, too. So I was really looking forward to that, and, you know, hopefully it still happens yeah. 2021. Well, it seems like the dates are up at least and hopefully yeah. <laughs> the curve keeps flattening and what have you. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Um but I'm lucky enough to be able to keep working, uh building stuff at home. Yeah. Got a lot of people actually hitting me up in the last like 2 months, 3 months. I was like three amps and you it's, know, about a dozen pedals and all sorts of little different projects here and there. So it seems like everybody's kind of cooped up and might as well get around to fixing that or getting that built or trying that project. So that's been pretty beneficial for me. So it'll, it'll probably be pretty much more of the same, that type of thing. I'm actually going this weekend to go, you know, drop off some amps, pick up some amps and, yeah. and some things. So. It's, inter it's interesting you say that, uh, uh, we, we've had, we had a massive actually increase in sales. That's from great. COVID. And it's every, every amp tech, every guitar tech we talk to is always like, oh, just, it's like the day the lockdown started every musician was like, wow, I can't play, so I may as well now use the time to get all my stuff repaired that I was putting off before. Yeah, so you you say that other techs have the same experience. Yeah, yeah, That's same, same thing. Because, I mean, I guess, uh, my, my guess, I don't know because I don't talk to all these musicians, but uh, my guess is that just in my own, thinking of my own experience, if I was really busy playing music, if I knew something needed to be tuned up or fixed or, or if I knew my guitar needed a setup, you can't go you don't want to go if it's your main stuff you don't want to go out, go without it for a while yeah that's true because yeah. you, you're still working you're still using it uh but then all of a sudden no gigs for 
however many months. Mm-hmm. Now you're like, wow, I could do without my guitar for a couple of weeks, get it set up the way I want it or my amp or whatever it is. Yeah. So it seems like everybody's getting stuff repaired or built or, or whatever right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky to have the different avenues, right? I mean, if I just relied on either live audio engineering or, or stage managing guitar teching, then I'd be, I'd be pretty screwed right now, but pretty lucky to be able to have the repair and, and build Maybe that's thing. a piece of advice. I'll always have something yeah. else just in case. <laughs> yeah, try to keep your hands in as many pies as you can, I guess. Is, uh, <laughs> Multiple revenue streams. Is the <laughs> I, just like, I just like pie, to be honest. <laughs> Big muffin, other forms. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> that's a little nerdy joke for everyone. <laughs> oh, that's dirty, man. Uh, oh, I, I just assumed you meant the Big Muff Pie pedal. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so I'm a nerd. I like nerdy stuff, like inside the actor's studio. So I, 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 I threw, I, I pulled out some questions, kind of like the Proust questionnaire he always throws in at the end. Yeah. Uh, but tech related. So I'm gonna cool. throw these at you real quick. Cool. Give me your, give me your quick answer. All right. What's your favorite piece of gear? Right now, the Garnet BTO head that I have. Ooh. Yeah, it's got the most amazing fuzz circuit I've ever heard in my life. It's called the Stinger. Built right into the head. Right into the head. And it's unlike anything I've ever heard in my life. And it's the best tone I've ever had in my life as a guitar player. Never heard an amp sound like this before. And uh, it's it's opened a lot of doors for me. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your least favorite piece of gear? Mm. You don't have to say a specific piece of gear, but like, it could be something general if you want. Like when you're a tech. You know, yeah, people, you know, you'd think I'd say like a Line 6 or something, a Line 6 Spider. But honestly, I think the worst thing is those goddamn PCBs in the back of the Gibson guitars. You know, oh, the Gibson PCBs yes. that they yeah, did for a couple yeah, yeah. years yeah. there? Thank God they got rid of them. Those are the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, right. I hate those. Fair enough. What sound or noise do you love? Feedback. Really? I love the sound of warm musical feedback, especially in a single-ended amp. Mm. Oh, you can't beat it, man. What sound or noise do you hate? Mm. Out-of-tune guitar. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> anything more than three cents out of tune, it's like, Ugh. Yeah, I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> what inspires you to create, whether it's music or a piece of gear or, or otherwise? Um, definitely like music and, and, uh, other musicians, uh, affinity for equipment and gear. Like, uh, other, if I see somebody else really excited about something, it'll get me excited. Not necessarily about that same product, but on whatever I might be interested in. Mm. Gives me the same type of passion. Like hearing somebody like Mark Hammer, uh, for instance, the way he's able to explain things so well that I was like, I get it all of a sudden. Now I want to do now my I own. I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what turns off your inspiration? People telling me to shut up. <laughs> that's fair <laughs> alright um, if you could have your dream job in the music industry presumably if it isn't already what you're doing uh, what would it look like I mean I really like being the like on stage guitar tech mm-hmm. but I could see myself getting more into uh, management side of things like I already do kind of uh, production management for Crownlands although the production's very very minor I could see myself getting more into grander productions bigger productions like uh like bigger touring acts that might require much more in depth, like uh, hiring, you know, 10 people as opposed to two people for Mm -hmm. a crew. Um, Or the other thing is also maybe even band management. I Mm. can see myself maybe getting into like all these kind of really showing me what it could be like, you know, it's like, it's kind of cool. Like the idea of 
being able to put your stamp on the industry, you know, because you only work with bands that you want to work with. Yeah, that's true. You know, so I could, I, I could see myself getting into maybe the, the management side of things. Maybe. Cool. If, um, if you couldn't work in a music-related job at all, what do you think you'd most likely be doing? Probably growing weed. <laughs> you know, now's the time. Yeah. It's legal now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that reminds me. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about stuff like this. We'll cut it if we're not supposed to. But um, <laughs> I remember the first time I went to deliver stuff to you, you're like, oh, yeah, come on in, man. And I came in the house, and it was like a, it was like a weed den. It was just <laughs> bags and piles of weed all over the place, on tables, on, ch- on chairs in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Our <laughs> first workshop was in, a, was in a legendary house venue, which is now closed down, unfortunately. But uh, Yeah, Leaky Beast. What yeah. did they change their name to again? Uh, just Ask a Punk. Ask a Punk, Which yeah. is actually like kind of a, it's like a, a wink and a nod type to uh, secret venues. There's a few different uh, cities around Canada and Ontario that have the Ask a Punk mon- moniker. Mm. I think there's an Ask a Punk in London and a few other places as well. Yeah. And uh, the whole idea is you kind of got to know to know. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of parties at that house because <laughs> there's a lot of shows <laughs> in the basement. But, uh, you know, it, it was definitely a little challenging sometimes to come in and there'd be a, in the morning and in front of my workshop, the door, there'd be piles of empty beer cans <laughs> <laughs> like oh great i gotta jump over the pile to get to work <laughs> yeah i never went to college but that's definitely what felt like my college <laughs> <laughs> finally where does tone come from oh man <sighs> that is a really tough question wow i mean i your fingers i guess <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's, that's really tough. I mean, it's, there's so many things, you know, cause you hear guys that just plug one guitar into one amp and they have like most glorious tone. And then some guys have like Kevin Shields has you know, six pedal boards that take up half the stage. You're going to say his tone sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's in the, the eye of the player or the ear of the player. Mm. Yeah. That's well put. <laughs> thanks. All right. Calvin, thanks for coming along, man. Thank you, John. Hopefully we'll have you back again. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. All right, and thank you for watching and listening, and until next time.